ESPN Radio. Douglas and Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCandy99 at HDouglas83. Did you know that you can listen to ESPN Radio commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN Radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. And right now, Harry and I want to know, can anyone stop the Nets if Kyrie Irving can play in the home games? My answer to that would be only Kyrie Irving. But we want to hear from you guys, so tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Let's go out to the call-in line right now and bring on Donald in Kentucky. Donald, you're on ESPN Radio. Uh, the answer to that question is absolutely not. Who stopped them last year when Kyrie was healthy? The only reason that Milwaukee even won was when, when Kyrie sprung his ankle. I believe they beat him by a combined uh, 40 points. No, a combined 80 points uh, for the first two games. Nobody can stop him if Kyrie comes back. Not to mention they added a six foot ten player that can guard one to five right beside another six foot ten player that can guard one to five. It's the defensive side that's going to make them unstoppable also. Give, give them the trophy. Wow, give him the trophy. <laughs> now, now, listen, Donald, I'm not ready to go that far, but you make a lot of salient points, and there is a reason why the Brooklyn Nets, even though they're the eighth seed, are tied for the best odds with the Milwaukee Bucks to represent the East in the NBA Finals. The one thing I will say to that is this. With Kyrie Irving having the potential to be a full-time player now and not having to worry about not being able to play in the home games, I think that does – give Kevin Durant the time that he's going to need coming off of that sprained MCL to recover fully and get ready for the playoffs. To me, Kyrie Irving being available for the home games and getting Ben Simmons as soon as you possibly can, that is going to allow Kevin Durant the runway that he's going to need in order to be at full strength because that was the guy that was the difference once they got into the playoffs. I mean, I still remember Kevin Durant dropping a 50-piece nugget against the Milwaukee Bucks. The guy was unbelievable, and you're talking about the difference in that series being a shoe size and Kevin Durant having his foot on the three-point line. So I I also acknowledge that this Brooklyn Nets team with Ben Simmons, with Kyrie Irving, is one of the most dynamic teams in the Eastern Conference, but Kevin Durant is the guy that makes it all go, and he was playing at an MVP level before he had that knee injury. So that's the part to me, Harry, that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I think another important piece, Chris, Chris, to go along with this is that simple fact, I think the supporting cast is better now uh, versus when James Harden was there, and that's one of the things that you need going into these playoffs, a little bit of depth, right? What was the knock last year? Joe Harris not being able to knock down those shots, but you add a Seth Curry to be able to do that. You add a Goran Dragic as well to help you out when uh, Kyrie Irving may need a break. So I think the supporting cast is a lot better uh, than I say a couple weeks ago. No doubt about it. And here's the thing when it comes to what happens with the Brooklyn Nets. A lot of it is going to be based on when the vaccine mandate is lifted. New York City Mayor Eric Adams intimated that he believes that that's going to be in a matter of weeks because the city is trending in the right direction when it comes to COVID infection rates. And so that's something that we have to keep an eye on. But before the All-Star break, Adam Silver had some scathing criticisms of New York City in the vaccine mandate, how it didn't necessarily make sense to him. Here's Adam Silver in his own words. Honestly, I have no inside information. I'm, I'm here in New York, and that's where that 
ordinances in place that has the direct impact on Kyrie. I'll say, it, to me, just, just stepping back, um, while it's been the league's position that we wanted to see every player um, vaccinated and boosted, that's not something the Players Association was willing to do. Having said that, though, we got to voluntarily 97, 98 percent of our players boosted and the vast, I'm, I'm sorry, vaccinated, and then the vast mm-hmm. majority of them are boosted. This law in New York, the, the oddity of it to me is that it only applies to home players. I mean, I think if we're, if, if, if ultimately that rule is about protecting people who are in the arena, it just doesn't quite make sense to me that an away player who's unvaccinated can play in Barclays, but the home player can't. So I, I, to me, that's a reason they should take a look at that ordinance. And Harry, I'm right there with Adam Silver. It really doesn't make any sense because it provides a competitive advantage for the visiting team because they can have an unvaccinated player who's just as equally possible of spreading COVID in the arena to personnel that are involved with the teams or with fans. They're allowing them to play, but not allowing Kyrie Irving to play just because he's on the home team and he's an employee of the Brooklyn Nets. That part of it made no sense to me. And so... I'm glad that we're moving in a direction where the vaccine mandate is going to be lifted because you're talking about taking away that competitive advantage for visiting teams when they come to play the Brooklyn Nets or the New York Knicks. Yeah, you got to give some credit to Mayor Adams because uh, he's not going to sit here and be bullheaded uh, over over a mandate that's something that he didn't even put in place. Yeah. Right? He's seeing that things are getting better. Uh, within the New York area, so he's going to take that in, in, into consideration, and maybe they can come up with something better where Kyrie's able to play. So I just like the open-mindedness by Mayor Adams. Yeah, and here's the thing. The Brooklyn Nets have 23 games left right now. Kyrie Irving would be eligible to play in about eight of those games, so we'll end up seeing what happens. Um, but if the vaccine mandates are lifted, then you're talking about him being able to play in the lion's share of the remaining games. And why that's important is because the Brooklyn Nets are going to try to get Kevin Durant reacclimated to their, to, to playing and to their offense, to all the new pieces that they added, including Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, and of course Ben Simmons. That's going to be important down the stretch, being able to develop that chemistry. Harry, if you go back to last year, that was one of the big concerns about the big three with James Harden, Kyrie, and KD. They had only played in seven games going into the playoffs. We were worried about what it would look like when they finally got into the postseason, and unfortunately, they weren't able to keep it together. So chemistry is going to be a big factor in developing that and trying to get Ben Simmons the best of what Ben Simmons has to offer in understanding his role as well as Kyrie understanding his new role and so on and so forth with your key guys. So I think that's also going to be a huge factor, and that's why it's important that this vaccine mandate is potentially going to be lifted sooner rather than later for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, chemistry is everything, and you can't wait to the playoffs to do it. That's when you see a lot of teams that are as talented as the Brooklyn Nets get exited. You've seen last year, those the big three, they only played 16 games together. They went 13-3. and three. Moving mm-hmm. on to this year, Ben Simmons, he has to get acclimated a little faster. They had a lot of time off. I don't know what they're trying to work in. He's had a lot of time off. He, has t- he had time to work on this game. Get him acclimated to the system. Get him out there. You don't have to play him uh, substantially a lot, a lot of minutes. Just get him out there, though, so he can get those game reps because we all know you can't mimic a lot of things in practice. You have to do game-like situations so you can understand where you are conditioning-wise in your body. Yeah, there's nothing like game shape unless you're playing in actual games. Like, that, like you can do all of the conditioning drills. You can do all of the practices, the individual drills, but you've got to actually be out there in the games 
to get into that game shape and to get into the flow of what Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets want to do from a philosophical standpoint. And that's the big adjustment that Ben Simmons is going to have. Not to say that Seth Curry and Andre Drummond aren't going through the same thing, or Goran Dragic for that matter, but those guys aren't nearly as important as what Ben Simmons is going to be asked to do. And the general manager for the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks, actually went on the record and said, yeah, we don't know what Ben Simmons is going to be. We we know he can play point guard. We know he can play the five in certain lineups. We know he can defend one through five. But we don't know what it's going to look like with him on the court with our other key guys. They got to figure that out before it becomes winning time in the playoffs. I don't think you want to be experimenting with different lineups and different rotations once you get into the postseason. You want to have those things set once you get out of the regular season. And to me, that's what the stretch run is all for with the Brooklyn Nets. It's about being able to experiment and find the very best lineups, the very best rotations, so everybody, your star players, your role players, can be comfortable understanding what they have to do in order for this team to have success at the highest level and for this group to realize their full potential. Coming up next, which young quarterback is best suited to make a Joe Burrow-like jump next season? Harry and I will tell you. This is ESPN Radio, back after this. ESPN Radio. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We want you to tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. On what young quarterback would you want to build your NFL franchise around? And the topic right now is we're trying to figure out which quarterback is poised to make that Joe Burrow-like jump going into year two? And, Harry, I know this can be qualified a lot of different ways because it could be year two in the NFL. It could be year two as a starter. But when it comes down to the quarterbacks that you're looking at, the young guys in the NFL, who's the one that you have your eye on that could make a Joe Burrow-like jump in terms of their individual production and also the impact that they're going to make on their franchise. Chris, I'm going to go with a guy named Trevor Lawrence. And when I mean his jump is going to be tremendous, it's only because I don't think he can go anywhere else from last year. A guy who threw for 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions, you just can't do that. you got to take care of the football. But you, you look at Trevor Lawrence back when he was at Clemson, right? He's a guy who won a national championship. He was the prodigy. Everybody was saying, okay, this is going to be the next coming of the NFL when it comes to the prototypical quarterback, a guy who has all the intangibles and have all has all the attributes and can do everything on the football field, including use his legs uh, as a goal point to, to help his offense out. Now, the only problem was he had Urban Meyer as his head coach. Mm. Uh, That's no longer there. He has a guy named Doug Peterson who's going to be there who happened to have a guy named Carson Wentz. And the last time we've seen Carson Wentz playing a great brand of football, he was in the MVP race. So I think a guy like Trevor Lawrence, they got to get him some more weapons on the outside, protect him a little bit better on the offensive line. But I think he is a guy that can have that jump like we've seen Joe Burrow do in year two. Here's what I'll say, Harry. I love the Doug Peterson hire. Don't necessarily love how the Jacksonville Jaguars organization got there because it seemed like Byron Leftwich was the front runner to get that job. And then all of a sudden there was a rift. Byron Leftwich didn't want to work with general manager Trent Baalke. And we know Baalke from his time in San Francisco and how his relationship with Jim Harbaugh soured and ruined a good thing that they had going out there in the Bay. So with Trent Baalke still being a central figure in that Jaguars organization, I wonder if the infrastructure, the supporting cast is going to be there in order for Doug Peterson 
to put his imprint on Trevor Lawrence and get him to realize his full potential. I love the player. I love all the physical attributes of Trevor Lawrence. I think we did learn a lot about his toughness, both mental and physical in his rookie year. Yes, and did. so I'm hoping that Jacksonville does right by this kid because if they do, we're going to see something special at the NFL level, something reminiscent of what we saw when he stepped on the stage at Clemson as a freshman when he threw that bomb at Texas A&M to T. Higgins. But I digress. Harry, when I was picking the young guy that I wanted to roll with at first blush, I wanted to go with Jalen Hurts. I like what Jalen Hurts did this year, guided his team to the playoffs. The Philadelphia Eagles have three first-round draft picks. You like what that offense turned into, found an identity with the run game. All of those things are well and good. But then I had to sit back and think about it. And after processing it, I got to roll with Trey Lance. Oh, I like it, Chris. I, I got to roll with Trey Lance, man. I mean, you're talking about the 49ers being in the NFC Championship game and their head coach slash play caller, Kyle Shanahan, clearly not trusting Jimmy Garoppolo to impact the game. They wanted to go out there and throw the ball the least amount of times. You can't function in today's game, in today's NFL, and have success at the highest level when you don't have confidence in your quarterback as a playmaker. One thing that's undeniable about Trey Lance is that he is a playmaker. And though he might be light, on his football experience, he is not light on football acumen. If you go back to the scouting reports at the Combine for him coming out last year, everyone said of the quarterbacks drafted in the first round, this guy had the highest football IQ. When you got him on the whiteboard, he knew exactly what to do with the football. Now it's just a matter of being able to take what he does on the practice field and what he's doing in the film room to the actual games. And I believe that Kyle Shanahan after allowing this kid to sit for the majority of the year, will have him prepared to step in and be the starter. We know what Kyle likes to do, how innovative he is with the run game. Can you imagine adding Trey Lance, not only as a passer, but as a runner to that run game? The amount of alleys, the the running lanes that it's going to open up for Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel. You still got George Kittle. You have a glut of weapons. Kyle Juszczyk, a glut of weapons on that offense to work with. Brandon Ayuk, not to mention a rock-solid offensive line, and a top-10 defense. So I really like Trey Lance, and I really like the prospects of the San Francisco 49ers next year. Dare I say, that's going to be a team that competes with the L.A. Rams to win the division and competes with the Rams to go to the Super Bowl again next season. I think that's how good the San Francisco 49ers can be, and that's how good Trey Lance can be in year two. Listen, I love the pick because when you look at a Kyle Shanahan system and you look at that team that you've seen out there on display this year, it's not like he has to go into that system and do too much. He can just play his game. And then if he starts off a little slow, you can methodically work his work 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 him into things. And then on the back end, like we've seen a guy now, I think he's better than the Colin Kaepernick, but like you've seen Ka- Colin Ka- Kaepernick when he was with the San Francisco 49ers emerge late in that year, even though he sat behind Alex Smith. But when he got his opportunity, he got his chances. He made the best of them. Now, you name a couple players. And let me tell you why I like this San Francisco 49ers team. I call all those players you name star players, right? Mm. Because they can do a multiplicity of different things, and it's hard for a defense to sit to sit there and hone in on them. You talk about a Kyle Hughes check. You can line him up at H-back. You can line him up at wide receiver if you want to. You can put him uh, attached to the line of scrimmage as a tight end. You look at a George Kittle, can do a multiplicity of different things. Brandon Ayuk. Then you see Debo Samuel. But the most important in my eyes is a guy named Trey Lance because he brings a different dimension 
to the quarterback room when it comes to being a runner, when it comes to being a thrower. Now, you mix all those things in with a Kyle Shanahan offense that has a lot of shifts and motions and a lot of moving parts. A defense is not going to know what the hell to do when you're trying to defend them. So I love that pick. No doubt. I mean, the 49ers were a top 10 offense from a year ago and a top five defense. So it's a rock-solid football team. The only question that I would have for them moving forward as it pertains to the offensive side of the ball is how quickly Trey Lance can get up to game speed because, Harry, we know there's a difference between practice speed and actual game speed in the NFL, but then also how they're going to deal with the loss of Mike McDaniel. He became the head coach for the Miami Dolphins. He was their offensive coordinator. So Trey Lance being adjusted to that and having to deal with that. I know Kyle Shanahan is the the de facto play caller out there, but Mike McDaniel is a loss when it comes to developing the game plan and also another set of eyes in developing your quarterback. So that's something that remains to be seen. I wouldn't be opposed to San Francisco going out and getting another veteran quarterback other than Jimmy Garoppolo to kind of be that other set of eyes on the sideline and in the meeting rooms for Trey Lance to help him prepare. So I'm just saying I like the San Francisco 49ers. I think Trey Lance is poised to make that Joe Burrow-like jump. Coming up next... Aaron Rodgers said he's not going to take a long time to make his decision while taking a long time to make his decision. We'll have the latest on that. You're listening to ESPN Radio. More after this. ESPN Radio. You're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN+. Plus. It's your boy, Chris Candy, and I'm rocking with the homie, Harry Douglas. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCandy99, at HDouglas83. And we always want you to tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, I know you're new around these parts, but it's Wednesday. So on this show, we like to have a little segment called People Don't Forget. It's an opportunity for us to run it back with some of the sound bites, some of the things that people say and remind them what they had said way back when and how things are playing out now. So, Shannon, Matt Lack, if you guys would, let's get into it. Hey, Greg, why don't you go f*** your pants again? That was like eight years ago. People don't forget. Ah, yes, people don't forget. This might be my favorite segment that we do on this show, by the way, Harry, just so you know. Aaron Rodgers, once upon a time, said he's not going to take a long time to make a decision about whether he's coming back to the Packers in 2022 or not, but yet he's taking a long time to do so. And, Harry, he's got these cryptic posts on IG. I don't care what he says. It's a cryptic (laughs) post. He's going on a 12-day cleanse to try to get rid of his stress and and get his mind right. He's saying that, oh, I I really don't start thinking about it until after the Super Bowl, what I'm going to do with my football future. Well, here's Aaron Rodgers on January 25th about what he was going to do with his football future and how quickly he was going to make a decision. I feel like I'm at I'm at the place relationally with the Packers, you know, in a really good place, especially with uh, with Brian and the way our friendship and, and trust has has grown. Where the, it would be a simple conversation, and whatever comes out of that conversation is moving forward. There's not going to be any weird you know, standoff, uh, you know, war of silence or anything. It's, you know, Brian and I have had good conversations throughout the year. And, and when, it, you know, when it comes time to make a decision, we'll have a, we'll have a conversation and, and that'll be that. There won't be, it won't be a long drawn out process. And 
I think that's what's best for me, for him, for the organization, and for all the other decisions that need to be made. Now, Harry, as I mentioned to you earlier on the show, I was on Get Up this morning, and I thought that our very own Dan Graziano made a great point. Aaron Rodgers says when it comes time to make a decision that he'll make a decision. What the hell is Aaron Rodgers waiting on to make a decision? It's not like we, it's not like we need some kind of deadline. It's not like he was waiting for the franchise tag window to open up to make a decision. It's not like he's waiting for the start of the new league year to make a decision. Aaron Rodgers knew this was coming a year and a half ago. We would be at this point where he would have to decide whether or not the relationships in the building with the front office of the Green Bay Packers were good enough for him to feel comfortable coming back. I don't understand why he's dragging this out. It makes it feel like this is all about attention, and he's being awfully selfish in the process of doing this. Chris, I like this segment. People don't forget. When you're in a relationship and you felt like you've been strung along for a very, very long time, and mm. you know those two, y'all, y'all, y'all split apart, y'all break apart, the person who was strung along doesn't forget what the hell went on. Mm. So the Green Bay Packers and all those Packers fans, if he, if he doesn't go back to Green Bay, they're not going to forget. Mm. So I love uh, this segment. I hear you on that one. I hear you on that one. And if I was a Packers teammate, knowing that Aaron Rodgers' football future is going to determine my football future and he drags this out, I'm not going to feel like he's appreciative or that he's grateful that I'm his teammate, like he said in that IG post. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there and let that breathe, Harry. But there will be more than just fans and coaches and executives feeling the kind of way. There will be some guys in that Packers locker room feeling the kind of way, too, if he drags it out and he decides that he's going to bounce. But moving right along, we got to go to UConn head coach Dan Hurley and how he got ejected after the game last night. After pumping up the crowd, now, of course, he was hit with a T, decides that he's going to pump up the crowd, gets hit with another T, and they eject him from the game. It seems like a rough go of it, but we actually have the TV play-by-play on the Dan Hurley ejection last night. Let's take a listen. It's happened to me before. Mm-hmm. Is this on? It's, ha- it's happened to me before. So I knew how to handle it. <laughs> I know how to walk out. Uh, unfortunately for me, I, I just, I, I was obviously, I was in shock. A huge weapon program and, uh, you know, what, what a team. You know, what, what an emerging team, uh, a formidable team. Smartest thing I've always done in my whole career is recruit uh, incredibly talented young men with unbelievable character that gutted that came out and then hire the absolute best people that I can, the best coaches in the country to work with. So, correction, that is Dan Hurley in the post-game press conference talking about the ejection, but also acknowledging how that's a big-time win over Villanova, a ranked opponent for his team, the UConn Huskies. Look at me. Look at me, Chris. I'm the referee. I want to throw him out. Look at me. It's all about me. It's a top 25 game, man. Let's be serious. Your feelings can't be hurt that bad from a man, from a coach, pumping up the crowd after you gave him a tech. The game is not about you, Mr. Ref. It's a top 25 matchup. What they say, man, come on, man. Come on, man. I'm with you on that one, Harry. And listen, we can't let people, don't forget, get away with Hornets rookie James Bucknight being ejected from the courtside seat at the UConn men's game. Like, this is crazy. Like, you're in the NBA and you're at the game and you got bounced from a courtside seat. You got ejected from the game. How does that even happen, Harry? Tell me, how does it happen? Oh, man, this cannot occur. Man, I would feel some type of way if I was him because if I ever, Chris, went back to my school 
and went to a game. And I don't care. If I got ejected, now I can see if I was doing something absurd and crazy. Yeah. If I got ejected and kicked out, I would feel some type of way. And you know what? I have this platform right here on ESPN now. Uh-oh. Oh, man, that thing, the roof. The roof, the roof will be on fire, Chris. And we don't need no water. We going to let that thing burn. burn. Here's what I'll say. I'm wondering, what did James Buck Knight say to the officials that made it escalate to the point where the officials had to toss him? That's the part I don't get, man. Yes. What part of the game is that? You're kicking fans out of the building. You're kicking coaches out of the building. What the hell is going on out there? What's going on with that officiating crew? <laughs> I don't know. Harry doesn't know. We can't figure it out, but it just doesn't feel right. And that is people don't forget on a Wednesday. Harry, like I said, this is one of my favorite segments, man. I love this segment. But the last but not least, Harry, we got to throw in this. Because I was going to get up this morning. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, Mike Greenberg seems to forget that I'm 6'8", 340 pounds every (laughs) single time that I do the show. So whether it's at the beginning of the show or it's at the end of the show, he feels the need to remind everybody at home and remind whoever I'm doing the show with how big I actually am. So at the end of it, at the end of today's show, he had me and Dan Graziano standing next to one another and he thought to make fun of us. But what he didn't realize is that we got the wide shot and everybody saw that he was standing on an apple box just to try to make his height a little bit closer to mine. We got the TV play-by-play on this one as well. People sometimes ask me just how big a man really is, Chris Canty. Well, I'm a believer that a picture is worth a thousand words. So let's just get a quick demonstration of just <laughs> the difference uh, between Canty uh, and, and, of course, I, well, you as, got the host, the box. as the host of the show, I requested an apple box Understood. because I, I find it difficult. Fair enough. How do we feel about this, uh, Dan? This is how I make my living. I talk to people this side. Now, people need to know there's some camera element, right? Like if we switch yeah, places, we it places now, now, it's different. And so, again, this happens every single time I go on Get Up where Greeny has to make sure he points it out. And it's like, does he forget how big I actually am? I think it's one of those moments, though, where just the average person would be like, you know, NFL players, you know they're big. But when you see them in person, it's a different level of respect and it's a different level of appreciation for the sheer size of some guys. I guess that has to be what it is. Right, Harry? Chris. You know I played against you in the playoffs. I stood in the huddle and looked over at y'all's defensive line and looked at your six eight ass and I said, "There's no way in hell we have a chance with these big boys over there on that defensive line." That's and, what I said to myself. I didn't say that loud. I said it to myself. And Harry, you know who else said that? Who? Your quarterback oh, after I, I decked him on the first third down. He came to the sideline. He said, "Listen, guys, I need y'all to run your routes shorter. Okay, they're getting back there very, very fast." Yeah, we were going to try to make him shorter with all the quarterback hits we were going to put on him on that day, but I died. Coming up next, we'll take a look at the best landing spots for some of the top NFL free agents. Harry and I will have the places they need to go. Stick with us. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. It's Harry Douglas and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, we know the window for teams to tag players with the franchise tag opened yesterday, and Mm -hmm. it's going to run through March 8th, which is the the day after the scouting combine in Indianapolis. We know a lot of long-term deals 
between prospective free agents and teams get worked out throughout that period of time, especially when they're in Indy. But we do have to run down the list of the top free agents, and this is on ESPN.com's website, the top free agents, and try to identify some of the best landing spots for guys in free agency in 2022. You ready to get down? Let's go. All right, Shannon, what we got? All right, so I know earlier we did uh, Devontae Adams and Teron Armstead, so let's look at some other names on this list. Harry, I'll start with you since you're the wideout. Mike Williams, Los Angeles Chargers. What's the best landing spot for Mike Williams next year? Ooh, Shannon and Chris, it is very, very imperative in the National Football League when you have a young quarterback, you give him some weapons. Not only a weapon, the greatest jump ball receiver in the National Football League right now, I think Mike Williams is. So you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. We talked about Trevor Lawrence earlier. I think they need more weapons at that position. And then you look at Justin Fields in Chicago. He can use a guy he can just throw the football up to, and they're, they're going to go 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 get that thing. Uh, I think Allen Robinson, I don't, I don't think he's going to be back with Chicago. So those are the two teams I have for Mike Williams. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with Harry's logic. When you have a young quarterback, you got to get him some weapons. And even though the Chargers do have a ton of cap space, the second most cap space of anybody, they could franchise tag Mike Williams. They could extend Mike Williams. But I feel like they have a glut of weapons at their receiver spots when you consider Keenan Allen and Jalen Guyton, not to mention Jared Cook. So he's a luxury. He's a nice-to-have, but he ain't a gotta-have. To me, the team that's gotta-have him more than any other team in the National Football League, you guessed it, the New York Jets. They gotta-have somebody for Zach Wilson to throw the football to. Corey Davis ain't it. Keelan Cole ain't it. They gotta find somebody to get him the ball. Although I do like what they have in the young guy, from Ole Miss and Elijah Moore, they got to find another guy to be able to get the football to a big-time threat down the field. Mike Williams is that dude. All right, let's stick with the wide receiver position right now, Chris. Chris Godwin, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver. What's the best landing spot for Godwin next year? Listen, the best landing spot for Chris Godwin, I, I, I've got to say this, Shannon. I'm not sure that he makes it out of Tampa Bay. I know that Bruce Arians – has an affinity for him, and you saw the difference that he made when he was out of that Buccaneers lineup, especially in the playoffs. They didn't have that secondary threat outside of the numbers to get the football to. It was just Mike Evans and a bunch of other guys. So I have a hard time seeing him getting out of New Orleans, I mean, getting out of Tampa Bay. But if he does happen to get out of Tampa Bay, a place that I really like Chris Godwin would be the Cleveland Browns. And I know that Baker Mayfield hasn't been able to make it work with some of his wide receivers. He didn't make it work with OBJ. He didn't make it work with Jarvis Landry. But in terms of the drop-back passing game that they like to implement, I think Chris Godwin would be a great fit, and that's going to be a team that's in the receiver market. So Chris Godwin to the Cleveland Browns, I think that situation could work out. Yeah, Chris, when I look at Chris Godwin, I do believe he means a lot to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization. Uh, so I do see him going there, staying there. But the other team I think that needs a receiver very, very bad. The Detroit Lions. You mm. talk about lack of productivity at that position. They got they got had a chance to pick up Josh Reynolds, who was paired with Jared Goff um, with the Rams. He played for the Tennessee Titans. He didn't like it there. He got released. He was able to go there. And then St. Brown, the young cat, being doing a lot in the slot, came on late in the year. But they need that guy, that go-to, go-to guy. I think Chris Godwin will be perfect for him. All right, last and certainly not least, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, and I need a quick answer here from both of you guys. Von Miller, Los Angeles Rams, outside linebacker. What's the best landing spot 
for Vaughn next year, Harry. What do you think? Well, you talking about Vaughn Miller, two-time NFL champion, Super Bowl champion. It doesn't damn matter where he goes. Wherever he goes, he's going to be productive. We've seen that in the Super Bowl. Here's what I would say, Shannon. I'm going to cape for my Baltimore Ravens. Let's get him to Baltimore, baby. Let's make it happen. Vaughn Miller to the Baltimore Ravens. We know Eric DaCosta has an affinity for those veteran players. Go out there and pay Vaughn Miller some money. Bring over that championship pedigree. There's a reason why the guy's got two Super Bowl rings, a Super Bowl MVP. That's an organization that needs to do more on the defensive side of the ball to support their offense. We know they had injuries on the back end of that defense. They got to bring in some more pressure. Give somebody to be that bookend rusher with Odafe Owe. They're a do-everything rookie out of Penn State. I think Von Miller would be a perfect fit, a perfect fit for what they want to do in Baltimore. Perfect fit. Just saying. And that is it. We're picking the best landing spots for the top NFL free agents. And, of course, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. And here's the one thing I will say, Harry, with the franchise tag window just opening up, we know that teams usually do their business closer to the end of that window than at the beginning. So some of the names that we ran down in that list, some of those guys are going to be franchise tag, so we'll have to continue to keep an eye on them. But there are going to be some guys, based on the situations that their teams are currently in with the salary cap, that are going to hit the open market. And I got to believe they're going to get a huge, huge bag. So we'll monitor all of that. We know we'll get some grumblings out of the combine and Indy next week. So we look forward to getting all of those news and notes. But coming up next, how long will it take for Joel Embiid and James Harden to mesh in Philly? Harry and I will have the answer for you. This is ESPN Radio.